John, hurry! We have to report the news. It's a it's a must it's a must report situation. All right, the fourth estate is more valuable than ever. Yes. Okay. We, we're under constant attack from Donald Trump. But no, here here at this podcast, now is the time to report the news. Yes, news. <laughs> here we go, John. What do you have for news today? In what? Uh, Rob McElroy. <laughs> Star and creator of Always Sunny Philadelphia is out as the director of the Minecraft movie, which was originally slated for May 2019. People are reporting. Double news. Yes. (laughs) Double news flash. (laughs) Rob McElhady was directing a movie based on Minecraft? Question mark. (laughs) Apparently. All right. Animation kingpin. Rob McElhady. (laughs) I listen. He's obviously got a lot of creative juices flowing. Everybody on the It's Always Sunny cast is always going a million miles an hour, and I thought he would have lent a lot to the Minecraft movie. Unfortunately, It's Always Sunny takes up too much of their time. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay, so apparently Glenn Howerton, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. Dennis, can't do Always Sunny and AP Bio at the same time, but yet Caitlin Olsen <laughs> can do the Mick and Always Sunny. Well, explain to me how Hollywood well, works. Well, to be fair... Glenn Howerton, Rob McElhaney, and and uh, Charlie Day are the creators and producers behind it. And they're also in the mm-hmm. writer's room. Apparently, Caitlin Olsen is not. Um, thus demonstrating oh. the need of why we need more women in the writer's room. Of course. Because she's arguably the funniest of all of, all of them. But, well, um, other, than, other than Danny DeVito, maybe. I mean, she's the, she's the most outsider. She's the only woman of the gang, so I guess she does have to work and harder. And treated the worst. Or, yeah. Exactly, and treated the worst. I mean, she's such a bird. I <laughs> No, we're not gonna we're not gonna make this a competition. They all the ba- the band is important. That's why I'm I'm not really looking forward to a season without Dennis. Okay. Yeah. Well, you don't have to wait too much longer. I, yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be weird though. A, you know, Van Halen is not the same without David Lee Roth. Um, the Wiggles is not the same without that one guy who left. <laughs> Interesting analogy. Yeah. But I mean, I don't. Were you looking forward to the Minecraft movie? Was anyone looking forward to the Minecraft movie? Hey, who was looking forward to a Lego movie a couple of years ago? Huh? I guess that's true, but yeah. that's because you had creative geniuses behind it. And not to say that Rob McElroy is not a creative genius. No, but... I mean, he's, he's giving you hours of entertainment. How dare you? I, I know, but it's like Phil Lord and Chris Miller have that kind of producer. Like, they just have that kind of panache where it's like, I don't know, Rob's only done It's Always Sunny. That's like, true. With his... And that and that guest star on Lost. He was on two episodes of Lost, and we all love him for it. Yeah, but... and that PSA. Don't forget that drug PSA he did, <laughs> uh, which you can see on YouTube right now. Struggling actors, man. They mm-hmm. deserve, they deserve young actors. Praise. Again, they all get started young. I know it's crazy, yeah. but I I don't know. I just I don't think he's maybe and maybe the Minecraft was going to be the thing that launched him into the stratosphere as in my head, like an absolute creative genius. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I think you were hopeful. How how many of those really happen, John? It's stratospheric launches true. of of uh, just these creative transcendent people. Come on. Mm-hmm. I think I think you're expecting too much. Who can really give? Minecraft, the gravity it deserves. Well, John, really, I, that's what we're all asking. Well, John, I have an idea. Okay. He can he can lend. I think his genius to a Minecraft movie. He can lend mm-hmm. it to the government. He can lend it to l- literally the world. Mm-hmm. I'm talking, of course, about Q. John, are you aware of this uh, Q figure and this QAnon conspiracy? You know what? This is just an. Uh, it's further proof that I'm getting old, because it seems like the news cycle like skips ahead of me. Oh I'm yeah! Like, all of a sudden, everyone's talking about Q, and I'm like, I'm just hearing about Q now. What's going on? I can't, I can't remember nothing no more. Where am I, Julius? Yeah, I 
I envy your ignorance. I'm 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 sorry to report to everybody that you have to vote to devote brain cells to this, but this is the mm-hmm. the new thing on the on the fringe of the right. There was the alt right. There's the Tea Party people that obviously reached mainstream, and and now we've reached the the QAnon stage of that. Um, mm-hmm. Just as a brief introduction, QAnon is a uh, anonymous or a group of anonymous posters on an internet message board um, that's basically taken baby boomers on Facebook by storm <laughs> because it posits that while Donald Trump's presidency looks like a disaster, what's actually happening behind the scenes is he's taking down all of the enemies that th- these baby boomers have gotten frothed up over the last couple of years. So while oh. it looks like he's scrambling and setting the world on fire, what's actually happening <laughs> is that Hillary Clinton and Hollywood celebrities and all those liberals that you hate are actually getting <laughs> secretly getting taken down by the government. And it's also spiraled out of control, like he's going to cure cancer and expose <laughs> the JFK and, and 9-11 conspiracies and all that. Yeah, it's it, it basically encompasses everything. And it's very unusual as conspiracy theories goes, because their guy won. I mean, yeah. you, think, you think like there shouldn't be... Usually, usually your your mind goes to or you you complete these elaborate realities to essentially compose a, a world that you can't face. But this is the world they should be embracing: is that Donald Trump, our hero, is president. But instead, they can't face. Well, that. no, they can't face the reality that he'd be terrible at the job because that's uh, what everyone kind of knew. Yeah. So now they have to come. I mean, it's it's such a surprise because you think people with who believe in conspiracy theories would be able to face reality. You know, it's just so amazing that they've been able to concoct a conspiracy theory that confirms everything they want to believe, okay. which is so rare, I, which is so rare on the internet. Yeah. Uh, oh my gosh, my sarcasm meter is jumping off the charts. I can't believe it. <laughs> but Greg, how is this Hollywood adjacent? How, how well, is I this Hollywood adjacent? Juice. Well, I as I, juice. Well, here's the, here's the Hollywood juice, John. Here's how it affects my hometown of Los Angeles, my new hometown. Okay. <laughs> yes. Is that again? It, they want to take down all these people who they've hated over the years, who support the Clintons and the Obamas mm-hmm. of the world. And basically, Holly, liberal Hollywood celebrities, right? Oh, okay. All yeah, right. and so basically, that's the world that they want to be taken down by this Q conspiracy as well. Mm-hmm. Now, thankfully, they have some champions. They have some people inside Hollywood okay. who are adherents to this. Yeah, it's they're not the people who are tweeting. What is this nonsense? Why do I have to read up on this? <laughs> it's not those people, John. We have a new. A-list star that supports them, and his name, Isaac Cappy. Who? <laughs> John, who? We're talking about a tertiary personality on the hit Bravo reality TV series Vanderpump Rules, a spinoff of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. You don't know? Oh. You don't know Isaac Cappy? <laughs> Do none of you know who Isaac Cappy is? There's there's gray matter flowing out of my ears right now. Just <laughs> oh, like no. everything's oh, no. everything's melted. <laughs> well, John, I mean, he seems to be he's jumped on board. I think he's 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 caught this uh, this QAnon comet, and I think he wants to catch the contra- the tail of it. <laughs> so that he that he shines Wait a his minute. light. Yeah. You're telling me that someone on a Bravo reality show is just craving attention? How <laughs> dare you? I know. I can't believe it either. But I'm reading from a, a great. Uh, article in the Daily Beast by uh, Will Summer. It says, Cappy was introduced by, to the InfoWars audience by Alex Jones as, quote, a pretty big movie star, unquote. <laughs> and he calls himself a, quote, Hollywood whistleblower, unquote, accusing a long list of Hollywood stars without evidence of being pedophiles. <laughs> Cappy, oh. who claims to have followed QAnon posts since they started to appear on anonymous internet forums last October, says he's seen from the inside how Hollywood is run by predators. 
Oh, okay. Yep. I mean, he, he's not wrong. <laughs> Hollywood is definitely run by predators, but I, I don't think it's tied to the Obama administration or Hillary Clinton or pizza restaurants in D.C. Yeah. <laughs> well, John, I mean, you have to come up with the evidence. And oh, I believe oh. Cappy has. Unfortunately, the, the author of this article is a bit skeptical. But much of Cappy's proof of Hollywood pedophilia is thin. Well, that's just classic, you know, left-wing media. Exactly. Fake news. Yeah. The evidence is thin. For example, he once talked to a man he said he'd like to quote, unplug, unquote, from his phone on weekends, a remark Cappy took, not as a sign of social media overload, but as proof that the man was a pedophile eager to avoid NSA surveillance. (laughs) Imagine the imagination you have to have (laughs) to make that leap. (laughs) Just anything, child predator. (laughs) Wait a minute. But if it's tied to the government, the NSA is still tracking him? No, they're he not. No, to, he has to unplug so that the NSA doesn't track him and his pedophilic activities. So you're saying that the NSA is aware of it, but they like he has to give them the word. Well, no, like, exactly. Right, we'll that's so what Q. That's the camera? light that Q is putting on the. Yeah, that's the light that Q is putting on the on the world. That the NSA. Oh. Everybody in the inside is aware of this. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just something. It's a live action role playing game that these baby boomers <laughs> have to unwrap because their oh, lives okay. are so boring and empty. <laughs> Okay, good, good, good. Yeah. Well, I can't wait. I'm going to dive more into this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to look up some Alex Jones stuff on you. Oh, wait. Um, I, I, I bet I could find him on Face. No, wait. Um, I'll look for I'll look for Alex Jones on Spotify. Mm, wait. Mm. I'll find him somewhere. Yeah, John, we're, we're talking about news within news. This is the inception of news. <laughs> yes. Oh, we're so good at this. Yeah. Guys, welcome to the Aspiring Snobs podcast, and we are great. Yes, we are great. <laughs> Well, John, if you do want to reach out to somebody, I have an idea. Seth Green, um, reading from the final paragraph of this article. For example, Cappy claims that Green once told him that they needed to, quote, have a conversation about chicken, unquote, which which Cappy took to be a code word for pedophilia. But even Alex Jones, no stranger to baseless conspiracy theories, uh, had to point out a much more innocent explanation. Green has a show on Cartoon Network called Robot Chicken. I was going to say, this story is centered around Hollywood elite, and Seth Green has a has a fine career, but I wouldn't consider him Hollywood elite. I'd, I'd consider him a Hollywood-acquired taste. I, John, what are you saying about his role in Without a Paddle? With Dax Shepard, other Hollywood A-lister? Come on. Chips lit the world on fire. Indeed it did. Because it made me want to burn the theater. <laughs> Again, that's more of the biting criticism you'll hear on Aspiring Snobs, which you should probably get to the subject of our episode today. Ah, uh, yes. So this is ostensibly a movie podcast, yeah. um, and we revisit a classic movie every week. When you say revisit, you mean a movie that we haven't seen before, but is yes. listed as kind of requiring viewing for any cinephiles out there. Cinephiles, okay. not pedophiles. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yes, we both, for the first time, got to witness the 1979 film Being There. Everybody knows you never go full retard. What do you mean? Check it out. Dustin Hoffman, Rain Man, look retarded, act retarded, not retarded. Count two picks, cheated cards, autistic, show, not retarded. They got Tom Hanks, Forrest Gump. Slow, yes, retarded, maybe, braces on his legs, but he charmed the pants off next to him and won a ping pong competition. That ain't retarded. Peter Sellers being there. Infantile, yes, retarded, no. You went full retard, man. Never go full retard. John, nothing like a lion in winter. <laughs> <laughs> I Okay, 
Explain. You kind of touched on it a little bit last week. What how, What did you know about this movie going in? I knew about Peter Sellers, and he's the again I mentioned Lion and Winter. This is one of his final performances, and it's one of his most beloved. Um, this mm-hmm. again, great star of comedy, um, doing more of a dramatic turn here, but playing a, a very genuine, innocent person. And so this movie evokes a lot of like nostalgia and kind of sweetness behind it. Um, and I was actually shocked to learn I I'd assumed um, in one of his final performances that he would win an Oscar for Best Actor. Turns out he did not win. Unfortunately, the award that year went to Dustin Hoffman in Kramer vs. Kramer, a movie we have not ah, yes. seen, so we can't, we can't judge it against this. But I know that's its, that's its reputation. I mean, the reputation of Kramer vs. Kramer is that it won many undeserving awards. So <laughs> there you go. Um, I, had, I had known that this was a very kind of like soft, quiet movie Mm -hmm. and i knew it had gotten a lot of accolades i knew it has a reputation of a you know very classic quote-unquote movie it's part of the great movies list yep um and i knew peter sellers was in it i knew at one point it's uh someone dies so i know it kind of takes a wistful tone but that's pretty much all i knew about it and boy was i surprised to learn (laughs) this is a pretty this is a pretty biting satire we got going on here biting I think it's pretty biting, surprisingly. I, well, I think it bites down without its dentures in, unfortunately. No. Yeah. <laughs> so when you say soft, yeah, I think I think the problem is kind of the, the performance at the center. It really it does cast um, our lead character, his name's Chance the Gardener, in such a glowing light. And I think for it to be biting, it has to have a little bit more intellectual honesty or a little more cynicism. And it doesn't have that. I I kept casting my mind back to Network, which was released uh, three years earlier. Like mm. that's a that's a biting satire of of television. That's a lot. Of, that's like people being completely inhuman to each other. Yeah, but I here, guess that's true. yeah. But here is here's like the the opposite side of the coin, where you know the the via television this this man becomes a light unto the world, <laughs> or at yeah. least maybe maybe they become fooled. But you know maybe maybe you had a different interpretation of it. The foolishness that people display by falling for this this pretty this pretty simple man, or at least like perceiving him as something he's not, is uh is was biting, or maybe you interpreted it as more um well I guess as harsher, I guess you yeah as harsher than yeah I, I guess did. you you hit the nail around that. I shouldn't have used the word biting. What I was kind of surprised by as a movie that is which its tone is so serene and soft. It is surprising that at this heart, this is a satire. Mm. And that's what kind of surprised me is because I'm not used to seeing a movie like this where the satire is just so kind of like understated. I'm used to being it like, again, like sharp and aggressive and mean and like whip snap, snap like fast. Whereas here it's, it's a very kind of like quiet piece because again, we're following Peter Sellers as this very quiet and simple man. And I still think like, yes, it does kind of hold the main character in high regard, but we'll kind of get to the fact that it's like, it kind of has that satire element where it's like the bad guys still kind of win. And we'll get to the ending, but it's yeah. still like nothing ever really changes. If anything, the system kind of doubles down. Yeah, and it's I think much more... we're kind of worst for it. It's mm. we'll, we'll get to the ending. We really can't speak to it until we get to the ending. <laughs> and so. I, well, anyway, yeah, the like like you said, it's much more heartfelt than a satire, which you assume is like sarcastic or mm-hmm. yeah. something something along those lines. Um, however, that's kind of my first problem with the movie is that the tone isn't quite right because this isn't just a satire; it's also a fable in a way. Yeah, that's very true, but it's also very timely. It's very much of a piece, 
So it's also kind of weird for it to be like, it's trying to be like this kind of like timeless story, but it's still very 70s. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll get to that. So the movie starts, uh, we focus on Chance the Gardener, again, a man who is the intellect of, I think, six years old or something. They, they never quite diagnose him, but again, very simple. And his the, the soul... closest I think anyone gets is like third grade intellect. Yeah, and his sole interest is watching television. That's literally how he interprets the world. He's, yeah, he's it doesn't he doesn't know how to read or write. Um, he doesn't know intimacy. <laughs> he doesn't really uh, have human relationships. He knows how to garden. He knows how to garden. Really <laughs> yeah, well. okay. Yeah, that's literally all he knows. <laughs> we don't get a lot of his backstory, but it's kind of implied, you know. And this was very common back in the day, like from the 1920s to like the let's say 60s. Like if you had a child who was mentally differently abled mm -hmm. or just kind of you know, like anything kind of mental issues going on what you what you did especially if you were in high society was just hide it yeah like this is what the kennedys did this is what arthur miller did you know like this was just very common practice so while this and they become torgo from monostans of fate <laughs> they're just gonna <laughs> exactly. help her around the house <laughs> yeah so it's I mean, it doesn't give you a lot of backstory, but it's implied heavily that this is what happened. Yeah. You know, he, he had this kid. Uh, the, we don't, do we ever get his name? No, no. He's just Chance the Gardener. Um, again, no, I mean like the, his, his father. His father? His no. quote unquote father. Uh, yeah. No, the Jennings, I, I believe is his name. Again, mm -hmm. he's just seen as a wealthy patriarch or something like that. Yeah. So this wealthy patriarch dies. That's kind of the inciting incident. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, foreclose on this house. But Chance has lived there and only there his whole life. The help is left because they have no reason to stay. They're not getting paid anymore. Yep. The lawyer's foreclosing the house, and he basically has to go out into the real world for the first time. Yeah. The only other contact he has with the outside world is another helper named Louise. Mm-hmm. And who actually prepares him his meals. Yeah. <laughs> so he's going to starve. And I wish... <laughs> probably not. Yeah, and I wish he stuck around because, again, you need this connection to the outside world. Otherwise, the story has to kind of contrive ways in which people, you know, like accept or just react to him. Yeah, but I mean that's kind of what satire does. <laughs> I guess yeah. satire is satire is based completely on coincidence. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. all stories are, but anyway, <laughs> I guess that's true. No con no no coincidence, no story, as the old saying yeah. goes. But this leads to my favorite point in the movie, and I wish the movie kept going along these lines because so far in the movie we've just seen this little this uh, wealthy compound. It looks like. Mm -hmm. um, although in the background we hear like a siren going off, we hear planes flying overhead, and we're like, "What? What era are we in?" Sort of like, "Where are we?" Exactly? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a very old, stately home. Yes, like almost Victorian level. Mm -hmm. And then Chance packs up, he exits the front door, and he realizes we're in the the rougher neighborhoods of Washington D.C. <laughs> Exactly. Very and 70s era. <laughs> included. When you say 70s, also, it's in the music. The music is like this uh, funky remix of uh, also Spots Zathura from the 2001 soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, I think it's that's probably done by the same guy who did that uh, uh, Beethoven's Fifth. Like, dun, 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 you know, that, I, I, I assume. I don't know. Yeah. I don't do any research for this show. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, there's, and it looked like for five minutes this was going to be an awesome kind of fish-out-of-water movie. Because, like... See, I yes, but also I didn't appreciate this segment because again it's very dated. Yeah, like, that's true. Again, it's it's full of that seventies accoutrement. But then also the depiction of black people is not very uh, new. <laughs> yeah, we should say. Yeah, we, we say. should say. Yeah, we should say he's he's in one of the rougher bits of neighborhood that's uh, predominantly black. And mm -hmm. the people he runs it, yeah, they start talking. I believe you literally uses the word jive. <laughs> so exactly. <laughs> maybe the well maybe again, the, and it's it's kind of funny at first because again, chance isn't acclimated to this world so he has no social graces whatsoever so and it's 
you know, a nice little point is the fact that, uh, you know, Luis, again, coming from a different era, is a black maid. Yeah. So when he's out in the world, he sees other black people. He sees another old woman who's black who looks like Luis. What's the first thing he asks her? Excuse me, can you fix me something to eat? Yeah. <laughs> and she just runs off. <laughs> like, who is this crazy it's, it, I understand it's innocent, but there's also that, that part in the back of your brain, like, isn't this slightly, you know, <laughs> racist yeah, and, and again, stereotypical? Like, Same with the, uh, he encounters a group of ruffians who, again, mm-hmm. like, you know, starts talking in 70s street slang and yep and they pull a knife on him because yeah. you know he's in the wrong side of town so yeah. it's just kind of uh, it made me feel a little icky yeah <laughs> excuse me could you please tell me where i can find a garden to work in a garden there is much to be done during the winter i should start the seeds for the spring and work the soil oh shit who sent you here, boy? Did that chicken shit asshole Raphael send you, boy? No. Mr. Thomas Franklin told me I must leave the old man's house. He's dead, you know. Dead, my ass. You tell that asshole if he got something to tell me to get his ass down here so. You got that, boy? Check it out. What? I mean, I get the impetus to, you know, create this fish out of water situation, but it's like, did you have to go so broad with it? Yeah. Say, and same, speaking of broad, like, I think one, one moment that people really admire and speaks to his character is he's confronting a, a, a rough person. He's confronting an, an adversarial person, and he yeah. literally takes out his remote and tries to change him, <laughs> um, which is kind of broad. And also, like, again, I... I I didn't. I didn't buy it as the problem. So there's this, yeah. There's this contrast between what a fabulous character Chance is and the and the real world that's depicted in the scene. And exactly. The, and there's that disconnect. And I think at that point the movie just can't like says okay we can't go with this anymore. So instead it contrives this scenario where he he gets into a little uh, fender bender with a with mm-hmm. a wealthy with a wealthy dowager. Mm-hmm. And then played gets by whisked, Shirley MacLaine. Yes, played by the great Shirley MacLaine, and gets whisked off into another aristocratic world, <laughs> who are now in, at the levers of power. <laughs> it maybe would have been nice if he like actually got to experience like a middle class life for like two seconds, oh, yeah. but sadly, no. Yeah, no. Um, he gets whisked away, and this is where kind of the satire element becomes in because again, he's so he's such a blank slate. He's so unacclimated to social cues, and basically just repeats or confirms what everyone says to him yeah and as a result they think of it as inspiring or insightful and that's basically the plot machinations for the rest of the movie yeah and i think the satire there is supposed to be like you know we hold these people these you know rich powerful people on a pedestal thinking oh they must be our superiors in a way but here comes this guy who's clearly not intellectually or philosophically or anything and they get so taken in by him so it kind of mm-hmm. exposes you know emperors with no clothes i think that's the original idea of it but um yeah i definitely think that's part of it obviously the the class struggle is there i think it more has to say about the fact that like I think there's a larger theme here of the human condition and how we just want stuff, we just want ourselves reflected back at us. An important thing we might not have mm-hmm. mentioned enough about Chance is that he loves television. It's literally oh, all he wants to oh, do. Yeah, in all these yeah. social, yeah, all these social situations, he is just waiting to get back to where he can look at television. Yeah. 
<laughs> and I guess, yeah, we didn't we didn't point out that that is li- his literally his sole motivation in every scene is exactly. where's the, where's the TV? Can I watch TV? <laughs> exactly. All uh, he likes to watch, which mm. will be a hilarious joke <laughs> later on. Yeah. Um, he so he's always watching TV, and one of the little ticks he has is that he'll start imitating what he sees on TV. Yeah. Whether it's a fitness show, whether it's Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers is used very appropriately because, again, he has a mind of a child. Mm-hmm. Same with uh, Sesame Street, too. Children's programming exactly. is a really, yeah. And so the idea is that he's mirroring what he sees on TV. And again, this goes back to the whole theme, which is every social interaction that people have with him, they just hear what they want to hear and basically get confirmed what they want. For example, you know, he, he ends up in this house of this hugely wealthy aristocratic man named Rand. Again, yeah. very appropriately named Rand. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Chance is just explaining his situation. I was foreclosed on. I used to have a garden there. Mm. And what he hears is like, oh, you used to be a businessman. And a garden is and just a metaphor for yeah. your business. And you were closed down. You know, it's really the businessmen who have the hardest time in America. We should double down on our economics that, you know, rewards the wealthy. Yeah. <laughs> so, again, it goes back to this whole, like, people just see what they want to see. They just want everything reflected back at them. Just like Chance is reflected back at what he sees on the television. Yeah, I just wish they exposed, or there was more of a, that was more reflected in the story, because I think the idea is that these upper class people are supposed to, you know, show them with their pants down, like they're not, they're not intellectual in any way, again, they're Mm -hmm. just projecting onto this very simple man, Mm -hmm. and also, like, Chance doesn't change at all, like, he's, he always remains, like, He's not. He's not affected at all by the outside world. Again, it's more the the television is the impetus. It goes back to your problem, and my I guess everybody's problem in that <laughs> you want your main character to have agency. You want them to be the driving force of the story. And at this and at this rate, he's he's literally not. Everything that happens to him is via the force of people who are d- literally taking his his easy euphemisms that he's acquired from television and mm-hmm. now like putting him in a in a meeting with the president or putting him on TV or having him at a state dinner. Like he's yeah. But I mean, like, the joke is the joke is the fact that he says these things quite literally. Yeah. Like people ask him things and he goes yes. And, like, they all think it's a, some kind of metaphor. It's all working at a different level when it's really not. He's just so simple. He's literally yeah. just saying yes. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And we'll get we'll get to this one phrase that has to be repeated and, and misinterpreted in many, many ways. And it's, <laughs> I like to watch. What he means is, literally, I just like to watch television. But every other character has to be like, oh, you just like to, to watch the market and sit back. And, okay, yeah, that's a good idea. So we won't, we'll be, we'll be very bearish in this, in this environment. <laughs> Well, also, it turns into, like, a horrible, like, sex joke. Like, not yeah. just once, but twice. Uh, at one point, he's at this, like, rich, wealthy party, and he gets hit on by a gay man. And yeah. who, you know, very, ta- like... very tastefully done. <laughs> <laughs> just one dial down from Paul Lynn. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, he like he's very upfront. Have you ever had sex with a man? <laughs> and he goes, oh... I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> which is which is repeats. interesting because he doesn't even he doesn't even know how to like order food without <laughs> without like referring it back to television. So like, how does he even know what like intercourse is? He seems that simple, and now you're you're throwing this curveball at him. And well, yeah, and it's also like used as an as a 
at a joke at the expense of Shirley MacLaine's character. Yeah. Because she eventually, like, falls in love with him. Granted, she's still married to Rand, but he's dying, and he's old and decrepit, and he's like, I give you... He, without saying, is like, I give you permission to go fuck him if you want. Yeah. <laughs> and so she starts that's putting what I couldn't. Up. That's what I couldn't figure... Uh, I couldn't understand. Like, was she his wife or his daughter? I think it was... Wife? Yeah, I, it, I, I got I, think, I got a yeah, trophy. Ultimate... I got a trophy wife vibe from her. Yeah, because initially yeah. I got daughter, but anyway, I, again, okay. that's the other problem. Problem. It, and what little happens in this movie, like you know, you think they could bother to explain our characters' relationships to one another, but anyway. See, I don't mind that so much. I I like the fact that the movie doesn't hold your hand. Yeah. Because again, we already have such a simple character. <laughs> like for yeah. it to talk down to its audience too, I think would be even more insulting. As long as the roots are not severed, all is well. And all will be well in the garden. In the garden? Yes. In a garden, growth has its season. First comes spring and summer, but then we have fall and winter. And then we get spring and summer again. Spring and summer? Yes. <clears throat> then fall and winter? Yes. I think what our insightful young friend is saying is that we welcome the inevitable seasons of nature, but we're upset by the seasons of our economy. Yes, there will be growth in the spring. Hmm. Hmm. So I like the fact that, again, it leaves a lot of stuff ambiguous, like his past like the exact nature and what i also love again kind of getting to the ending mm -hmm. the the shoe doesn't drop the floor doesn't fall out as far as everyone knows by the end he's a genius like a market yeah. genius like some mm -hmm. kind of huge financial brilliant mind where it's like you get these little subplots of the lawyers being like why is this guy we just kicked out of his house on television all of a sudden yeah and you have reporters like doggedly determined like dig up anything on his past there's nothing about his past yeah. he literally doesn't have a birth certificate yeah same with the <laughs> state department and the and the nsa and the secret service like sorry sorry mr president we've got nothing on this guy <laughs> yeah exactly and again a whole nother subplot uh the president meets him and the president interprets his kind of like very vague simple style as like making fun of him mm. and it becomes like a running theme of like the president feeling impotent like he can't yeah. have sex with his wife <laughs> later because he can't get it up which I, i'll all right i'll be upfront. i like this movie i liked it a lot actually okay. and the reason why is because it reminded me a lot of another movie we previously revisited the ruling class which right. you're right it centers around you know a simpleton it, it centers around someone who's clearly mentally different than everybody else but where the satire comes comes in is how he becomes a useful idiot mm -hmm. for all the other forces the larger forces around him and again the floor never falls out he's never revealed to be just an idiot everyone still kind of like uses him and, and then at the end there's this kind of like very this large business conglomerate which is basically the illuminati 
Like again, and, yeah, that's that's the other like relationship I didn't quite understand. Like, what is, like, why is this guy meeting with the president other than just is he just an advisor? Like, is he is he part of yeah is he part of this cabal that's literally like making oh, yeah, him president? Because it happens in the very last scene there. Like you said, he's never revealed for being a simpleton, the simpleton that he is. The mm-hmm. pallbearers are like secretly discussing, you know, what who the next president should be. Like they control it instead of an electorate. And well, no, yeah, that's the point. That's the point. It's the fact that it's making that satirical point that it's like. You know, we all have a sneaking suspicion that just a small group of billionaires controls the world, and it's like, yes, yes, they mm-hmm. do. Yeah. <laughs> and again, he Rand at one point like makes that joke. He's like, and sometimes I consider the will of the people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when he's like deciding who he's gonna throw his influence and money at. Yeah. And again, another again ties back to the whole the president being impotent. He's yeah. like the most powerful man on the world, quote unquote. Well, who put him there? Yeah. It wasn't the voters. It was mm-hmm. the rich white people. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you mentioned uh, the ruling class because I didn't like that movie, and I sort of didn't like this one because mm. uh, I never, I never really bought being there. I think I couldn't get the disconnect between like it being like really a fable, but the tone being so somewhat flat and realistic. Like mm. I, I, like I love that music, the the remix of the of that, you know also space uh Zethuzera or whatever it's called um that's the only <laughs> the 2001 scene. a space odyssey movie yeah exactly <laughs> soundtrack yeah but that's the only scene now that i think about it that's like really the only scene with music in it the rest of it is yeah. like very little editing you know kind of not really high or low angles like shot really realistically and yet like it's such it should be treated as such a as such a fable of this guy the simpleton who you know suddenly rockets off to the highest echelons of society just by you know repeating what he saw on children's programs and so like I, there was such a disconnect there and I, I didn't buy it and mm. t- same thing with I think you're mentioning the tone we, we didn't mention that this movie was directed by a guy named Hal Ashby and mm-hmm. he cut his teeth in Hollywood by being an editor but his first couple of projects were really biting and really subversive in like the last detail like you know having having a more sardonic sense of humor and also with like sexual mores which again gets to um, <laughs> uh, Shirley MacLaine's character falling in love with this guy and then later um, basically um, flipping the bean in front of him but anyway <laughs> but anyway so there are those subversive touches and also the gay character which is also yeah. an inside joke at his at his um, at his animosity towards Warren Beatty but anyway we won't, we won't even touch on that but <laughs> exactly. like again like yeah again it's, you, you contrast that with my overall impression which was what if we made network like really family friendly <laughs> see that's, what, that's also, what it felt like to me but I also feel like it's appropriate because again this is a satire working on a different tone that I'm used to and mm. while I look I'm not going to argue that network is not better that network's one of my favorite movies yeah um I do appreciate the fact that it is kind of trying to go for a different tone, but also based on the character we're supposed to follow, we're kind of, the tone kind of makes it feel like we're kind of in his world a little bit. We're in his head a little bit more. So everything is just kind of like happening around us. So maybe that's why it's just kind of very flat. I don't know. I felt like it was But then why cut away to the world that doesn't under, that doesn't quite get who he is or never figures out, figures out who he is. Why do those cutaways? Um, Again, because, it's kind of leading you into the kind of wider plot machinations, yeah. which again don't really re- resolve because again they're kind of like outside the purview. Like again, like did we really need all the scenes with the reporters? Did we need like the two extra scenes with the yeah. lawyers? No, but again, it's it's showing that things are happening on the outside, which maybe will come to a head, maybe not. But again, I like that ambiguity mm-hmm. because again, uh, we're, speak, well, we're in the of... we're in the feet 
of a character who, again, is completely oblivious to everything yeah. going on around him. Well, speaking of ambiguity and feet mm-hmm. and our, our beloved league <laughs> performance, we want to. Oh we should my get gosh, to the most... this is why people come to the show is segues like that. Oh my yeah. gosh, we deserve an award. <laughs> Indeed. We're up for whatever, podca- whatever awards exist for podcasts, which they shouldn't, but in case one does. Okay. But the other famous trademark of this movie is its final shot, wherein the somewhat oblivious. Uh, uh, Chase the Gardener, or as far as they know, Chansey Gardener, um, mm-hmm. just in in the middle of this funeral, just wanders off into the woods, helps a little sapling gardening as he does, and mm-hmm. then comes to a lake and just walks across the water. Yes, and we're you know it's not frozen over or anything. This does no. this movie does take place in winter, but they confirm for you know the viewer that he is indeed walking on water because he takes his umbrella and sticks it deep See, into I, the water. I I really hated that. <laughs> Because it felt like a wink to the audience, like, oh, you thought, you know, we're just going to stop here. Let's show you the special effect, huh? <laughs> what <laughs> I know. That's true. When I know, I know that, yeah, there's just a, pl- a simple plank of plexiglass underneath. And, yes, you can go to the side and dip your hand in, and you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's not the most egregious thing about the ending, in my opinion. No. Um, again, if I have to excuse it, I think it's a metaphor for him kind of being above it all because again going back to like the poster of this movie it's the fact that he's like walking on air um it's i think it goes back to this whole idea that again he's he's just so oblivious that it's kind of turned into this idea that he's kind of transcendent he's about to be used as a pawn he might be the next president eventually (laughs) oh jesus christ yeah (laughs) yeah exactly um so maybe that's the satirical touch there is that he's like this christ figure even though I don't know, even though he's he's not imbued with that importance, or he shouldn't be imbued with that importance, who knows? I don't know. Yeah. Again, going back to the ruling class, you know, he spent half that movie thinking he was uh, Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. Again, I, so, I didn't... I, to sum up, I didn't get it, and it made me angry. <laughs> no, but I did, the most egregious thing about this movie, yeah. which almost destroys it, I'll forgive it. Yeah. Well, I, I believe the quote, I, I think Seller said this himself, like, it, it broke the spell of the movie, this last, yes. very last scene you're talking about. They have a gag reel over the credits. <laughs> well, not just a gag reel, outtakes of one particular scene that was cut from the movie. Yeah, which is, it's it's Sellers trying to relay the message that those ruffians tried to give him earlier. Yeah. And again, it's it's this very simple character trying to say cracker or something like that. And obviously, Peter Sellers breaks immediately. Yeah. Don't, know. Look, <laughs> I can forgive a lot. But gag reels at the end of the movies are the bane of my existence. There's only one person who can pull off a gag reel at the end of the movie, and that's Jackie Chan, okay? He's yeah. the only one who's allowed to do it. I no. don't want to see it at the end of your stupid comedy. And especially, like, you expect it from a comedy, like a dumb, dumb, dumb comedy. Yeah, this like, is literally... there is no spell. Yeah, we, we like, just followed a very broke. dramatic climax where our beloved supporting <laughs> character just passed away. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. So... It's just... Yeah, this Look, is this isn't Mr. Nice Guy. You know, we didn't just see him fight with ladders. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm glad that Peter Sellers is able to crack. It's nice to know that he's human. Yeah. Like, I would love to see that as a DVD extra, but no, don't put it over the rolling credits. Yeah, I like, don't know ugh. the the thought behind it. Let's let's yeah. let's play it. Let's put it at the feet of Ashby, who uh, never reached his career heights again. Unfortunately, no. Got into drugs in the '80s. Didn't really have any successes and died young. So. <laughs> Ooh. So poor one out. Tell that honky. That's what it should. That's what it should have had. Was as he's silently walking off into the sunset on over this water, over this placid pond. It should have had. 
Deepity, that's all, folks. <laughs> I've lived a lot, trembled a lot, was surrounded by little men who forgot that we enter naked and exit naked, and that no accountant can audit life in our favor. I do believe, gentlemen, that if we want to hold on to the presidency, our one and only chance is Chauncey Gardner. Well, I mean, it like it has a, like a nice transition effect because it goes to like static. So I was like, "Wow, what a yeah. way to perfectly end the wait." What is this? What is this? Yeah. Stop! No, stop! <laughs> I don't know. It really upset me because I I really did genuinely enjoy this movie and I thought it was fantastic. Okay, but I understand I'm... you also not liking it. Yeah, I'm a little. I've, I've grown accustomed to Greg Mantel <laughs> being wrong after all these years. So he's entitled to his opinion, but his opinion is wrong. Everyone knows this. Why can't it just be the other movie that I like from the 70s? That's, that's what I come up to, to make this palatable at the very end of our discussions for modern mm-hmm. audiences, this is essentially like Forrest Gump. But that, that tone sets, the, that has a kind of the perfect tone between the, you know, the feather falling, the music, the slow motion of like, run, Forrest, run. That, it feels yeah. like a fable. And, mm-hmm. you know, has the kind of also the black and white morality of the virtuous you know force going through his storyline and the and the uh, decadent you know jenny character going through yeah her yeah line. so if you're as stupid as the main character then yes you'll enjoy that movie <laughs> for as enlightened sophisticates such as i enjoy nope. being there nope you got taken in just like mr rand and all the all of his other yahoos yes i like to watch <laughs> john what what do you like to watch i like to watch Television. Okay. And I like what? to watch Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. <laughs> that is that is a good movie, Chauncey. <laughs> but no, we're not here to talk about the movie Spotlight, which is a great movie. We're going to be talking mm-hmm. about other great movies or things that we've seen recently that we can recommend or criticize. Who knows? Yeah. Like, or just complain about. Yeah. Sometimes we use Spotlight for that. Too. Yeah, we do. <laughs> To warn people, because again, we're not just film critics, we're also consumer advocates. And exactly. We're on your side. <laughs> John, um, how, are, how are we on people's side this week? What can we recommend to them? Greg, sadly, L.A. lost its most notable food critic this past month, Jonathan Gold. Yeah, R.I.P. And, you know, a normal person, a smart person, would probably go see the documentary about him, City of Gold. Indeed. I honored him a different way. <laughs> by revisiting his appearance on the 
uh, online web series, Cooking with Jeff. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is a funnier Die original series in yes. which the inimitable Jeff Goldblum um, <laughs> just enjoys uh, the cooking process with uh, somebody he greatly admires. Exactly. And, uh, well, first and foremost, it operates as a commercial for Ralph's. But oh, yeah. I shop at Ralph's, so I am not. If it were Vaughn's, I'd be like, I'm not buying it. <laughs> Throw my computer out the window. But it, since it's Ralph's, I'm like, okay, all right. Yeah. What other ex- uh, grocery stores exclusive to California do you enjoy? <laughs> Greg, again, consumer advocates here. Okay, go, I know. I know. Go, watch, City, go this... watch City of Gold. Go watch Cooking with Jeff, and go shop at Ralph's. Okay, these are very simple things. All right. Well, this is a this is a worldwide podcast, so I want to I want to make it palatable to the whole world. Anyway, continue. All right. Well, Cooking with Jeff, mm-hmm. again, hosted by Jeff Goldblum, as affable as ever. We get to see all the sides of him. There's a few episodes where he starts off tinkering with the, with the ivories because he's a jazz pianist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he welcomes you into his home. Well, not his home because it's a set, but we're actors, so we play pretend. And, you know, he has all his famous <laughs> friends join him, and they all make a nice little simple meal. It's not very instructive. But, no. you know, like, you can you can pick up a few things. And, again, we're not here for the cooking instructions. We're here for Jeff Goldblum. Come on. Absolutely. Again, we would watch him read the tax code, and I'm sure he'd have some brilliant asides <laughs> for that, too. I'd watch him read the phone book. Come on. Yeah. yeah. So, a very simple, sweet show. I like it a lot. Again, mm-hmm. I don't really have much to say about it. So, it was either this or Ant-Man. So, go, <laughs> go see Ant-Man and the Wasp. It's good two hours worth of air conditioning. Go. I, yeah. <laughs> I must say, yes, we're grateful for Jeff Goldblum. I, mm-hmm. I don't know what we did to deserve him. It clearly wasn't <laughs> enough because he's, he's such a light in our lives. <laughs> and, of course, Jonathan Gold. I, I do appreciate um, – I have sampled some of his columns. What I really appreciated was um, a program on national, on NPR here in L.A. called Good Food on the Road. Um, oh. He wasn't the host of that show. He, he needed some help. He didn't, have, he didn't quite have the radio-ready voice or timber, so he needed um, mm-hmm. a co-host for that. But, yeah, he did look at every L.A. eatery from, you know, simple strip malls to high-end stuff. So I guess we really appreciated him for that. So okay. go back, sample, yeah, sample the, just some of the great things he did to build the, the wonderful community of Los Angeles through, I mean, through the food he- arts. I mean, he was clearly, like, such kind of... He wasn't, like, a boisterous personality, but he's definitely no. very distinct, so I wonder if he, like... Like, food critics famously have to, like, disguise themselves so they don't oh, get he extra did. special yeah, attention. Oh, he did. Okay, all right, good. Yeah. I want... You know. <laughs> I'm, I'm not terribly familiar with Jonathan Gold. Again, I know him by reputation, and I think, you know, just seeing him on this show, mm-hmm. seeing how... And again, all these remembrances, you know, now, sadly, now I'm into him, but... Yeah, <laughs> you know. Exactly. Appreciate, I only appreciate them when they're gone. Ugh, this is all 2018's fault. Ugh, this damn rotation around the sun has been the worst yet. Because it's taken I'm, all our beloved celebrities. What a dumpster fire. Goodness yeah. gracious. Right, millennials? Dumpster fire. That's yes. Epic fail. <laughs> Hashtag not winning? Yeah. Is that a thing? FTL. FTL. Now you're really dating yourself. Yeah. Come on. Did you see that on uh, Can I Has Cheeseburger? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Epic bacon. Anyway. <laughs> what do you have for Spotlight, Greg? Well, we could recommend Ant-Man and the Wasp, which was fine. Um, can't mm-hmm. recall it uh, 48 hours later, but that's that's okay. It's I part will of say a- this. It's better than the original Ant-Man, because I actually right. am not a fan of the original Ant-Man. 
it's better paced. Let's just say that. Okay. But it's part one of a fun, zippy summer of sequels at the movies. And the other one I wanted to recommend, just because it came out a week later, or sorry, a couple <laughs> weeks later, and it's a little more fresh in my mind, and that is Mission Impossible, colon, lease the new BMW. I mean, <laughs> Mission Impossible, <laughs> colon, Fallout. <laughs> or sorry, Dash what? Fallout. Yeah, it's Dash Fallout. My bad. Uh, oh, okay. All right. Wait, no, it's Fallout one word, isn't it? Yes. Well, oh, yeah, it's, saying. Uh, but I'm saying dash, dash, following because mission. Wait, has a it's colon. not a colon. Oh, oh, you're right. Oh my yeah, gosh. Yeah, because mission impossible already has this. a colon in it. The mission is impossible. They and dash is a subsection. Couldn't fit two colons yeah. in there. Wow. Yeah. Now I'm now I'm intrigued. Now you've got me hooked. <laughs> yes, John, I'm a big fan of James Bond, and I'm glad that uh, the Mission Impossible movies can satiate me until they finally figure out <laughs> Daniel Craig's contract or find somebody else to direct or kind of revive him somehow. Because well, it's it's funny you mentioned the uh, BMW thing. Thank goodness these movies aren't done by Sony because then they'll be on their vile laptops checking yeah. their Xperia phones, <laughs> playing their PlayStation Four. <laughs> I'm sure I missed that. Phones do feature prominently. That's what I appreciate most. In addition to being a great action film and showing Tom Cruise's dedication to you know real stunts and real in-camera effects, which makes it just feel that much more alive. Mm-hmm. Um, they also do. When I say James Bond film, they also keep like the tech and the cleverness involving the tech like fun. I think that's a problem with. 21st century action films like oh characters can just talk to each other on their phones and so like you don't need you don't need gadgets in a way you don't need to like kind of cleverly recontort scenes when you just have literally like when people literally have things that just open the doors automatically (laughs) yeah i guess that's true (laughs) it feels less special that way but isn't mission impossible all about those kind of like clandestine meetings like the original, you know, it was like, oh, we got to meet on the bridge. Oh no, someone's dead. You know, like exactly, yeah. That's and that's how this movie starts. Really, it's a it's a deal mm. with plutonium, hence the uh, fallout. <laughs> so oh, even yeah, even though there meaning. is yeah, even though it hits all those same beats of an action movie, the big the big green digital readout, and <laughs> oh my gosh, a nuclear bomb is gonna go off. <laughs> like it does find enough like clever touches and good twists to kind of keep it alive. There is one scene again, another clandestine meeting where I believe it's a tro- quadruple cross. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Am I going to need a flowchart going into this? Movie? No, no, no. That's the thing. It, to, to the film's credit, it makes it very simple. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> it establishes who you like, you know, Ethan Hunt and his IMF, mm-hmm. and who you don't like. I think it is simplified because I haven't seen, again, I haven't seen the previous two Mission Impossible movies, but I dumped, I was dumped right in here and I kind of followed along. Um, okay. Now it's just uh, Tom Cruise playing Ethan Hunt and two other guys, Ving Rhames playing Luther, of course, mm-hmm. and uh, Simon Pegg playing his Q, uh, which mm-hmm. is his name is Benji. Mm-hmm. So again, like I'll just keep making uh, James Bond analogies because I love James Bond, and this is a bit, essentially a James <laughs> Bond movie. But like you said, like this is the only one that really follows directly from a previous sequel, which. Yeah. Isn't isn't that kind of what made Mission Impossible special is the fact that, you know, they weren't exactly direct sequels. They were like, yes, they have all the same returning characters, but the plots aren't really connected. And also you get a new director every time. Like Chris McQuarrie is returning, and that's less exciting, right? Uh, No, I mean, it's still, I think, well, maybe compared to the last one. What was the last one? Uh, Rogue Nation. Rogue Nation. (laughs) I haven't seen that one. And Fallout's not even that cool a title. Come on, we had Ghost Protocol. Yeah. (laughs) Sure. Cool. (laughs) But... I maybe that maybe the continuity helped. Well, one thing I will say about it connecting there was one character I was completely unfamiliar with, um, but it does the, the screenplay does work hard to with exposition in that. There are some scenes that just drag, where it's just people talking back and forth for about four minutes, and I'm like, okay, let's let's move on to hanging from helicopters and running across <laughs> rooftops. Come on, let's go. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
and it does in spite of all the familiarity of it again we're only we're in london paris like all these same locations uh still like it does it keeps it kind of fresh you know it, it's reheated but it's still like delicious reheated stuff so <laughs> okay <laughs> fair enough yeah and but like a man of the lost like uh, not of the the action scenes are kind of sticking with me but yeah it doesn't ha- doesn't have a whole lot to say and you know it's, uh, maybe not a whole lot going on upstairs but still like gosh gosh if it doesn't try hard okay yeah and i, I admire it for its effort so I give it a give it a big uh, check check plus for that. <laughs> Just the amount check of effort, plus. yeah. Just the well, that's not trademarked, unlike the Mr. Reaper's thumbs. So <laughs> yes, of course. But I'm just like, I don't know. Check plus is like damning with fine praise, almost a I little just, bit. Actually, check minus is technically the worst thing. Well, that's how, like, no, uh, yeah, check plus because of how you get that for like little pop quizzes, and the movie does feel just a, a tad insubstantial, um, in okay. spite of the in spite of the nuclear bomb machinations going on here. But so for being a dumb action movie, it did the extra credit. It went yeah. slightly the extra mile to okay deserve a, a the Greg seal of approval which exactly. you know means something indeed I'll just say it's the greatest action movie ever until three years from now when a Mad Max movie comes and that'll be the greatest action movie ever and then oh, we'll have another mission. we're not going to get another Mad Max movie for another decade come on ah, you're right <laughs> but then people will start like oh my gosh the action can you believe it <laughs> greatest movie of the decade question mark <laughs> nerds on the internet like it it must be the best movie of all time indeed. Well, this is weird. It's well, captured the imaginations of uh, old movie critics. <laughs> I guess that's true. It's got to be doing yeah. something right. Or maybe yeah. they're just so numb. That, like <laughs> yeah. Hollywood has finally like beaten them into submission. It's like we have you. We have you ruled by aggregates now. We mm-hmm. can just literally point to a single tomato-themed number. So yeah. what do we need you for? So yeah. <laughs> that's just. I I I was with the tomatoes from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> you were all about the t- t- tomatoes. Yes. I that, I'll, I'll spritz that tomato. I'll be part of the team. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you were actually yeah. You were early adopter Rotten Tomatoes. You were talking about it long before anybody else was. As oh far yeah, as I remember. Yeah, yeah. Uh, derisively, unfortunately, because again, it feels like the thumb problem is either, like either yay or nay. When yeah. obviously, film criticism is many shades of gray. <laughs> of course. Yeah. And you get to experience the many shades of gray of film criticism every week. When you subscribe to Aspiring Snobs. Yes. I have 50 Shades of Grey ready on our Twitter feed. Ooh. Ooh. Saucy. Yes. Yes. So follow along on Twitter for the latest sultry updates. Mm Mm-hmm. And like our Facebook page. For all the latest Q news. All right. We are following (laughs) Q. Or sorry. (laughs) Sorry for your parents. We are following Q (laughs) and giving you all the updates. (laughs) No, giving you all the updates. <laughs> Get it, old people. They're old. Diapers. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, follow us on our Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Follow us on our Twitter page. Like and subscribe and do all that things that count as currency on the internet. Yeah. And once you're done with that, go to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, whatever your podcast service of choice is, and give us a rating. Give us five stars. Give us yes. four stars. We'll take three stars. Uh, no, we won't. <laughs> I, want, okay. I want four. Yeah, four minimum, please. <laughs> if you if you feel like this podcast is three stars under, eh, keep it to yourself. Yeah, come on. This is we want a good net promoter score here, guys. Come on. Yeah. Now, That's John, business talk for y'all, folks. Yeah. <laughs> now, John, all those services have millions of followers and listeners and all that. But John, what if they want to get in touch with us a little more personally? Oh well, personally, you can reach out to us at our email, aspiringsnobs at gmail.com. Yes, we'll answer your questions. We'll take your recommendations. 
yes, we'll listen to your comments, and we'll try not to be hurt by them. But mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> just just try to phrase it gently because we're we're soft, sensitive souls. Yeah, you, j- you could even preempt. Are the movie we're going to be watching next week with your own thoughts, if you've already seen it. <laughs> Obviously, one of us hasn't. So, John, what movie are we watching next week? Next week, we'll be watching the 80s classic comedy, A Fish, called Wanda. Another, uh, with another British inflection. I think this is yeah. another one of those movies where America and Brit- Britain kind of like uh, do a tug-of-war for it. Yes, yeah, so we, we joined like... forces. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not quite as esoteric as Monty Python, but, you know, not... Not completely separated from its British roots. Yeah. And it winds up on, like, AFI's list of best American comedies and VFI's <laughs> list of best British comedies. <laughs> so everybody's a winner. Yes. Everyone wants a piece. Yeah. But namely, Kevin Klein, most of all. Mm, yeah. Give me that piece. Nice. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that about Jamie Lee Curtis. Bam! <laughs> wow. Take that. Bam. Greg, she's still going to be in Hollywood movies for the rest of her life. Okay, know, come on. Yeah. She, doesn't, she doesn't need any more. Because she can't book anything else. <laughs> How dare you. Bam. Those are, the, those are the savage burns that you can expect next week. <laughs> she's got Ryan Murphy now, okay? Ryan Murphy's going to put her in oh, everything. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. She's not, she's not Yeah, because Scream, Scream Queens went swimmingly. Everybody <laughs> oh. loved it. Look, Ryan Murphy, if he's not going for quality, he's going for quantity. So he's still got 10 other shows in the pipeline. Okay, yeah, that she can contribute to. Great. Exactly. Next up on American, American Posing Story. <laughs> yeah. But thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, keep aspiring. Keep aspiring.